Josh, thanks for the plug, man, for the ambassador. Um, man, if y'all are listening to the ambassador in middle school and high school, y'all are doing amazing, by the way. So, yeah, keep that up. Go ahead and binge that thing. I think uh, Josh is going to have some questions for us afterwards and talk a little bit about justice. And so uh, if you all have any of those questions, feel free to direct them towards us. And we even have a guest in here that may be able to fill some of those questions better than I can. So uh, really, really looking forward to that. Uh, So like Josh said, if you guys don't know who I am, my name is Jared Cole. I'm one of the pastors at Cornerstone Church. Um, I've been there for a while now. I've actually been here to teach a couple times as well. Uh, one night, you guys have me over here to talk to you about race. So if you're in this room, you've probably seen me before. But I've also been here on a couple Sundays to uh, teach here and talk a little bit about Genesis with you guys as well. And so tonight, you guys have been uh, going through a series on the 12 uh, disciples, right? Called what? You guys know what this series is called? Squad goals, right? Hashtag squad goals. That's pretty, that, that's pretty sweet. I was excited when Josh hit me up to say, hey, do you want to come over and teach on this? And I said, man, absolutely. I can't miss out on squad goals, right? I'm 32 now, so I'm kind of fading out of the cool, you know, kids section. And so I get to participate today. This is amazing, right? And so you guys have been going through all these disciples. And so today we're going to come to the disciple uh, Thomas, right? Uh, And if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, the book of John. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry about that. I'm actually going to be skipping around a little bit there. But if you do, we're going to be in John. um, And we're going to be starting in 10 first. But before I get there, so the uh, disciple Thomas, he might be a disciple that you don't know a lot about. Right. Number one, mainly because he doesn't have a gospel written, uh, dedicated to him with a name, uh, Matthew, Mark and John. Uh, and because he's not really mentioned that much in the Gospels in the first place. The only times you hear about the name Thomas is when it's in a list, right, and it has the disciples' name, The Thomas actually falls in that. The only Gospel that has anything that has to do with uh, Thomas, his life, his personality, his, uh, the characteristics of Thomas, is not until you get to the book of John. So that's why we're going to be in there now. Uh, and, and Thomas, when you first see him in John 11, you'll see that he actually has two names. He's called Thomas, but then he's also called Didymus, right? And Didymus is actually Greek for twin. So that means it shows us that Thomas actually had a twin that's not named in the Gospels, uh, but it's, 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 it's cool to know that it means twin there. He was a worrier, if you know anything about Thomas, right? He was a worrier. He was a pessimist. You guys know what pessimist means. He always saw things in the negative light. Right, he was negative, Nancy. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Inside Out, right? My girls, I have three baby girls, and they love Inside Out. I love Inside Out, honestly, right? And they had this character, Sadness. She's blue, <laughs> right? And she's always walking around with her head down. She's super sad. She's super pessimistic. And this is kind of how we can view Thomas. We can see him in this way. Right. He's actually kind of a mixture between sadness and Oscar the Grouch and Eeyore. Right. If you guys have gotten into Winnie the Pooh, he kind of comprises all those people together. He was filled with anxiety. He was anxious. Right. And he just anticipated the worst all the time. But he also lives a life and lives a life very faithful to Jesus. Before I get into that, I want to talk a little bit about who he became after this after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Thomas was actually coined with taking the gospel to India. And if you go to India now, you can actually see a, a society, a tribe 
that's dedicated to Christianity that was started there because of Thomas and his uh, conviction about Jesus Christ and his desire to take the gospel to the nations. And then now I want to spend the bulk of my time and hopefully in the next um, 15 minutes we can wrap this thing up. But I want to look at the relationship of Thomas and Jesus Christ. The relationship of Thomas and Jesus Christ. This is, I think, the most foundational thing to Thomas. And I think if you, if you know Thomas and you know his doubting nature and you know his anxious nature and his worrying nature, we can look at Thomas and say, hey, that's really not like us. But I think what I want to show you guys today in the scriptures is that we can actually be more like Thomas than we think we can. We all have a little bit of Thomas in us. And so where we're going to be is going to be in John 11. But I want to kind of set the stage with a little passage in John 10 in verses 22 through 30. I won't read this whole thing. I kind of just want to narrate it. But I want to set this up because it kind of gives us an introduction into who Thomas is. It gives it, it sheds light into why Thomas is the way that he is. In chapter 10 of John, Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was at this festival and he was at this festival at this temple. And in the temple, uh, the Jews and the Pharisees, uh, guys that didn't really like Jesus, who were doubting that he was the Messiah, they would surround him all the time in the scriptures. You would read about this. And right here in this particular passage in John, they were coming around him again. They were asking him questions. They would get to the point where they'd ask him, yo, who are you? Jesus was doing miracles. He was healing the sick. He was healing the blind. He was raising the dead. And, and they would follow him around, checking him out, saying, man, who is this guy? He's forgiving sins. Only God can forgive sins. And so they were always, they had this question on the tip of their tongues. Who is this guy? Is he the Messiah? Who are you? And in verse 24, right there of chapter 10, they asked this real point of question. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? And Jesus responds that I've actually told you who I am already. And he did. He told him in John 8. And he did. He tells him here again, Right? Uh, when he was talking about Abraham, he told the Pharisees that, yo, I was before Abraham was. Abraham is our father in the face way back in the day. And if Jesus is before him, he's making a very, very bold claim. He's saying, I am before Abraham. That means I was at the beginning. I am equal with God. And in verse 30, right here in chapter 10, he says it again. He says, I and the father are one. It's very plain. And the question I have for you guys today is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? He is the father. He is God incarnate. That is the question that we have to answer in our Christian faith. And this is the question that Thomas had to wrestle with while he was walking with Jesus. And so when Jesus says that he and the father are one, in this story, the people who are listening to him, the Jews and the Pharisees, they actually gathered around and picked up stones and gathered in large crowds and tried to stone Jesus. And obviously Jesus escapes, right, because he doesn't die until he goes to the cross. But you got to ask the question, why were they trying to stone Jesus at this moment? It's because claiming to be God is actually blasphemous. It is blasphemous. Right. It wasn't they weren't trying to stone him because the religious elite, they were they were really offended. But it's actually because they were Jews and they knew the scripture. They knew the law, the law that God had given them. 
You can have no other gods before him. For him to claim that he was God was an actual slap in the face to God. But only if it wasn't true. Only if it wasn't true. And so they picked up stones and they wanted to stone him uh, for blasphemy. This offense was literally punishable by death. The Jewish people knew this. For Jesus to say that he was God would either mean that he was, number one, a raving lunatic, or number two, that he really is who he said he was. There's no other option. Those are the choices that Thomas had and all the rest of the 12 had, and those are the choices that we have. He's either crazy or he's God. And so to evade this crowd, uh, the disciples and Jesus actually managed to get away. And they go into the wilderness. When John the Baptist comes on the scene, he's in the wilderness. And so this is the same scene that John was at. And all these people were coming to Jesus. And they were uh, coming to a saving faith in him. The disciples were happy. They had escaped near death. Okay? And so what does it have to do with Thomas? Now we're going to go to John chapter 11. Okay? That shapes the scene of why Thomas is going to be the way he is. Walking around with Jesus, Jesus saying the things that he's saying, it actually causes up a stir. It's the most uncomfortable thing in the world. (laughs) It's actually deadly to be associated with Jesus. And so here in the wilderness, they're doing their thing. Uh, Jesus is, is ministering. And there's a lot of people coming to the saving knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah that he said he was. And in the midst of this story, in John 11, we come to the story of Lazarus. Uh, And Mary and Martha, you guys know the story of Lazarus. Jesus raises Lazarus from the death, from the dead. But here, a message gets sent to Jesus. A messenger comes, a courier. And this message says, the one that you love, Jesus, has fallen sick. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were good friends with Jesus. And they knew what Jesus had done and what he can do. And so they sent this letter in hopes that he would come back to Jerusalem and heal Lazarus. But what does Jesus do? He waits two full days, 48 hours, right? He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He actually knew that Lazarus was going to die. And he waited two whole days for Lazarus to die anyway. And it's this backdrop in John 11, verse 7, that Jesus says this. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. And the disciples said, Rabbi, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going to go there again. And Jesus says, aren't there 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. This question that the disciples were asking was not a concern for Jesus, but actually a concern for themselves. They knew that in Judea, back in Jerusalem, that Jesus was going to get stoned if he goes back. And Jesus is saying, hey, now we got to go back to see Lazarus. And the disciples are like, yo, yo, chill. Don't you know that they're going to kill us? And you want us to come back to Jerusalem? He said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. 
And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. They're not paying attention. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, listen, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas, also called twin Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to so that we may die with him. Actually, it's more like this. This is Thomas. Let's go too, so that we may die with him. You know, he's got that aura about him. He's sad. He's Eeyore. Let's just go. I mean, come on, let's just go. We're going to go die with him, all right? He wants us to die. This is Thomas's pessimism on full display. But if we look at it closely, We get a real glimpse of who Thomas is, right? It was this heroic and obedient and a faithful pessimism. Yes, it was pessimism, but it was heroic at the same time. Me and my daughters always talk about this. I have three girls. I mentioned that. They're super young, five, three, and a little over one and a half now. Um, Right, right. Thank you. I appreciate that. And so I always try to get them to do things. And they're at that age where they can actually talk back now and actually like not, like not do things, you know. And I remember when they were just little babies and I was like, hey, do this. I'm like, okay, you know. But now it's not like that anymore. And so we have this conversation. And I want to ask you guys this question too. I say, which is better? For someone to tell you to do something and you don't do it? Or for someone to tell you to do something and you do so reluctantly? With a bad attitude. And my daughters would say, do it with a bad attitude. And I say, you're right. That is absolutely right. You see, Thomas could see nothing but disaster ahead, mostly because he had just seen it play out. He wasn't blindly seeing disaster. He wasn't feeling sadness because he was just feeling sadness. He had a reason. Jesus almost got them killed. And yet... In spite of the fate he thought Jesus was heading for, he decided that it is better to go with him and die than for him to stay and live without Jesus. This is courage. This is real faith to do the right thing, even though it seems impossible, and to follow Christ even to the point of death. Yes. You see, Thomas's issue wasn't that he didn't believe. He just had a worse fear. His worst fear was that Jesus was going to die and he would have to live without Jesus. He was dependent. And as we know, this fear actually comes to fruition and Jesus does die. His death is realized on the cross. And so as Christians, y'all in this room, if you profess Christ, Our faith hinges on this reality, Jesus's birth, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The belief in those things is what it means to be a Christian. If Christ has risen 
from the grave, then we have all the matter to rejoice. If Christ has not risen from the grave, then we, above all, are to be pitied. So the disciples in Jesus' day, they were actually looking for a king. This was, this was, this was tragic to them. They were looking for a king, someone that was going to come, establish their reign. They were under the oppressive rule of the Romans. And before that, they were under the oppressive rule of the Babylonians. And before that, under the oppressive rule of the Egyptians. You can tell there's a uh, storyline here. And so they were tired, sick and tired of being an oppressed people group. And so they knew that at some point God had promised them a king, someone that was going to come through the lineage of Abraham, that would come through the lineage of Judah, that would come through the lineage of David and come and be the true king that was going to rescue them from their plight. They weren't looking for someone that was going to come and die. But this is exactly what Jesus had in mind. And so you can imagine the grief and the pain and the sorrow that fell on the disciples after this. They walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They ate with him. He was a very real and present friend in their lives. And so when he died, it changed everything. It seemed that evil had won and all the chaos that Jesus had stirred up would have been for naught. All of it. So the disciples were scared. They were running. They were scattering. They were hiding for their lives. They were, the authority figures were coming after them. But then Sunday morning came and Jesus rose from the grave. And when Jesus rose from the grave and appeared to the disciples, the craziest thing happened. These disciples who had spent the last three years walking alongside Jesus, doing ministry with him, seeing him perform all these miracles and, 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 and healing the sick and raising the dead, walking alongside him, eating with him. When Jesus appeared to them, most of them didn't even recognize him. And then after he had done something where it got their attention, when he was walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they finally got it. When he was talking to, he appeared to Mary. She didn't understand who Jesus was, but he said her name, Mary. And at that point, she got it. And then he disappears. And what do they do? They go and run and tell the disciples, oh, I've seen Jesus. It's true. He's risen. He's here. And what do they say? I don't believe it. <laughs> I've got to see him. So what does that mean? It looks like it wasn't just Thomas that wrestled with doubt, does it? But all of the disciples. But for the sake of this message, what about Thomas? Flipping your Bibles to John 20 for me, uh, verse 24 through 27. And I'm going to read this right here. This was after uh, Jesus had appeared to the disciples Thomas wasn't with them at this time. And uh, this time in this account, Thomas was actually there. And here in 24, it says this. But Thomas, also called twin, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, excuse me, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands 
If I don't put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never, ever, ever, ever believe. And a week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them, and even the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, as if he heard what he said before, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Don't be faithless, but believe. Don't doubt, Thomas. Believe in me. What a gracious God. What a gracious, gracious God. You see, this, this account of Thomas right here, this is where Thomas gets the nickname Doubting Thomas. Or I like to call him Doubting Didymus, right? The Doubting Twin. But I think this name actually gives him a bad rap. It gives him a terrible rap. What set Thomas apart from the other disciples actually was not that his doubt was greater, but that his sorrow was greater. He had a love for Jesus, an apparent love for Jesus that was clearly hidden in the other disciples. And we get that here. He was the only one brave enough to consistently bring his real self to Jesus. And so instead of doubting Thomas, I think we should change the narrative and call him Honest Thomas. <laughs> he was honest. And so as I wrap this up and I tell us how can we live for Christ in light of Thomas's story? Still in chapter 20, um, I didn't finish that section, verses 28 and 29. This is Thomas's response to Jesus appearing to him and saying, yo, touch my hands. Look at the holes. Touch my side. The spear was right here. Have faith, Thomas. Have faith. And Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. This is the response that we have to have to Jesus. This is it. He's told us all along who he is. Often it's, it's, it's not that we don't know who Jesus is. It's not that we don't know what he told us to do. It's not that we don't know what kind of life we're supposed to live following Jesus. It's that we just simply choose not to. If you're like me, it's easy to deny God. It's easy to deny his commands. It's easy to look the other way. It's easy to talk bad about my friends. It's easy to cheat on my homework. All of this kind of stuff. We're in COVID. How many of y'all been faithful logging online and going to school? Right? It's easy to not want to do those kind of things. Jesus says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. This is a true statement, but I still don't want to see, I still don't want to miss the graciousness of God. I still don't want to miss the graciousness of God. Even when we're in our doubting mood, even when we're low on faith, which can be often for some of us, it was often for Thomas, we can still call on the Lord, call him my Lord and my God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, 
We're so grateful for you. Uh, We are thankful for your sacrifice for us on the cross, and we are thankful that uh, your blood purchased us. Your blood covers a multitude of sins, including our pessimism, including our doubt, including our worry, including our anxiety. Lord, I don't know where everyone in this room is right now, but maybe there's a young man in this room who feels like he hasn't given his all for Christ. Maybe there's a young woman in this room right now who feels like they've been doubting and giving themselves to things other than the things that Christ would have for them. And Lord, my prayer for my young brothers and sisters in this room today is that they can feel like they can run fully and wholly and honestly to you. They can come to the foot of your cross and they can say, Abba, Father, Jesus, I repent. I have done wrong. Will you forgive me? And I pray this prayer is true for all of us. Now we're able to run to him. He's a good father. Turn to him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we stand with us.